This is episode number 172, Plant-Based for Athletic Performance with James Wilkes of Game Changers. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, expanding the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. It's really centered around inflammation. The blood flow is centered around inflammation as well, inflammation in the arteries. But then if there's inflammation just recovering from a workout session or if you got injured and you're recovering, you need inflammation to build muscle and to recover, but you want to get through that inflammation quickly so that you can work out again more effectively. You can always work out again the next day, but it's how effective and how optimal is that workout. But I think inflammation is really the key here. The animal foods tend to be inflammatory, plant foods tend to be anti-inflammatory. And so reducing that can not only help blood flow, but also muscle repair, being faster, and then also injury repair as well. I hope your new year is off to a fantastic start and you're having a great day today. Super pumped that you guys are here today and I think that you're really going to enjoy today's episode with James Wilk from the Game Changers documentary that you can watch on Netflix. If you haven't seen it yet, James Wilkes is a combatives instructor for the U.S. military, a retired MMA fighter, the 2009 UFC champion, and the main person in the Game Changers documentary, which you can now watch on Netflix. Game Changers was executively produced by Academy Award-winning director James Cameron, also known for directing Terminator and Titanic, to name a couple of other films that he's done. Game Changers explores whether a plant-based diet is an optimal diet for athletes across all disciplines, including strength, endurance sports, team sports, and more. There are some big names appearing in the film, such as world record-holding strongman Patrick Baboumian, well-known ultra-runner Scott Jurek, Olympian cyclist Dotsie Bausch, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Derek Morgan of the NFL Titans, and so many more. The movie is about James' quest to search for the optimal diet to help him recover from a terrible injury. His research set him on a trajectory to learn more about plant-based nutrition, ultimately discovering that many athletes are competing at the top level with no animal products. The film goes into why a plant-based diet helps athletes perform and recover at their best. I was especially excited about this film because I've been eating a plant-based diet for six and a half years and performing at the top level in endurance mountain biking around the world. And it wasn't until I changed my diet that I really found a new level. I started winning way more races. I started recovering faster. But that wasn't the reason why I initially changed my diet. I watched Forks Over Knives back in 2012, and I saw that eating a plant-based diet can prevent and reverse heart disease, prevent and in some cases reverse types of cancer, and help you live healthy at older ages, which is something that's really important to me. And a side effect that came from that was a huge boost in my athletic performance. And again, I wasn't expecting that. So that was a really awesome surprise. Much like James, I went all in on researching plant-based nutrition. And I've spent the last six and a half years and thousands of hours reading studies, interviewing all of the experts, reading all the books, and also helping people personally change their diets and seeing massive health benefits and people reversing diseases that they've had. I've also helped athletes change their diets and they've seen positive benefits as well. 
If you're interested in joining our Plant Power Tribe community, and that is a community that I host, you can do it on Facebook. And it's a free Facebook group called Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney. We're working on launching plantpowertribe.com. And I also have a digital cookbook that I published last year that you can get at moxieandgrit.com. That's M-O-X-Y and grit.com. And it's my own favorite recipes that I created that give you the best nutritional bang for your buck. And they're really easy to make and the food is delicious. So you can get that at moxieandgrit.com. Before we get into it, I wanted to give a big thank you to Sufferfest Beer Company, who is supporting this episode of the podcast. And if you haven't heard of Sufferfest Beer, it's an awesome beer company that is inspired by athletes and is functional beer brewed with high quality ingredients to enhance the flavor and add to your enjoyment of drinking beer. One of their taglines is Will Sweat for Beer, and they have intentionally chosen ingredients to make this an awesome beer to drink after your ride or run at the trailhead. It's been crafted to remove gluten with an enzyme. And if you want to learn more about the details of how this company started and a lot more, I actually interviewed the CEO and founder, Caitlin Landisberg, formerly Caitlin Looney, on this show. And you can find a link to that in the show notes. It's a female-founded and female-led company, and they're just super rad. Some of their beers include pale ales, Kolsch, Pilsners, and Stouts. The stout is my personal favorite. It's called the Head Start Stout, and it is brewed with coconut water and coffee. What's better than that? They have a pretty fun brand video on their website as well that I think is just cool to watch. Go to sufferfestbeer.com to watch that video, to check out their beers, and to figure out where you can buy it so that you can sweat for beer and enjoy it after your next run or ride. So back to this podcast episode... I recorded this a few days after the four-hour Joe Rogan podcast. In this episode, we talk about a claim for the film, including the Defense Health Agency, how the idea of Game Changers came about, James' previous diets that he's tried and any notions he had on vegans, whether grass-fed beef is healthy, the best foods to eat to recover faster from injury. We talked about fatigue, carbohydrates, heme iron, and supplements for performance, We talked about how to decipher if scientific studies are legitimate, and this is something that I think is really important and also really hard for a lot of people because a lot of things are written to confuse us. And we also talked about how they picked athletes to be in the movie. And at the very end, we talked about MMA fighting, what it's like to take a punch, and how to manage anger and aggression whenever you're in the ring. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to share it with your friends on social media or just tell them about it. We really appreciate your support, whether it be leaving a review online, sharing the show, or even financially supporting our work on PayPal using the donate button or on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And big, big thanks to those of you who have been supporting my work throughout the last two and a half years. Really appreciate it and couldn't do this without you. All right, so here is James Wilkes. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Hey, Sonia, thanks for having me on. It's super cool to get to chat with you after watching Game Changers and hearing you on all of the interviews that you've been doing. Yeah, no, well, I'm uh, happy to be on here and looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, so the first question I have is, did you think that the documentary would have the impact that it's been having? I don't think I realized it would be this big. We knew it would have a big splash and we knew there'd be a lot of sort of debates going back and forth. We knew it would create a lot of sort of, you know, people on the carnivore and keto and paleo side, you know, arguing and 
we knew that that would build interest, you know, because people are very emotionally tied to the way that they eat. So we thought it would be big because we had, you know, obviously the big names attached like Arnold and Jim Cameron. And we knew it's sort of a hot topic at the moment with plant-based eating. So we knew it would be big, but perhaps not as big as it uh, has become. Yeah, I think this is the first plant-based documentary that has critical acclaim. Is that right? I'm not sure. I haven't really followed that much stuff. I do know it's the first documentary, for example, to be accredited by the Defense Health Agency of the Department of Defense, the first to be endorsed by the Special Operations Medical Association. And I know that it's it's done very well, but I don't, I don't know if other documentaries have been critically claimed in the space. And what does that mean, those places that you just mentioned? Because people listening might not know what those are. Yeah. So basically, well, the Defense Health Agency, for example, is basically the body in the United States uh, government for the Department of Defense that decides on what the military should be eating. So obviously, they don't really buy into this notion of, oh, well, you know, these sort of fairy tales of we, we have to eat in the way that our ancestors ate, or we have to eat based on blood type or whatever. They don't buy into that nonsense. They, they really look at the science. So they have PhDs and registered dietitians and people with master's degrees, you know, assessing the science. And obviously, they looked at the film, and they accredited it, which means that every doctor and nurse and healthcare professional in the US military Every year they have to get credits to maintain their, their status. And so by watching the film and taking a quiz or, or coming to one of the screenings where there's a panel, they can actually get these CMEs, these continued medical education credits. Now, it's also being accredited by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which means that every doctor and nurse in the United States, you know, in the public, not just the military, can also get credits by watching the film and taking a quiz on the ACLM portal. So it just sort of shows the credibility of the science in the film. You know, it's not just us making claims. You know, we interviewed leading experts in the field. So the head of nutrition at Harvard, the head of anthropology at Harvard, the president of the American College of Cardiology, the lead delegate of urology. And so not only do we have leading scientists in their individual fields, but it's nice that it's also been recognized for its scientific credibility by these leading bodies. Why do you think that people or, you know, some of these other groups feel so threatened by this? Because, like, I've been eating plant-based for six and a half years, and I don't get offended if people don't want to eat plant-based or they tell me they like their keto diet. But it seems like on the other side of the spectrum, people are getting offended if you say, like, hey, you're actually going to perform better as an athlete if you eat this way. Well, I think a lot of people, you know, it's so tied to their emotional identity that they, it feels that it challenges that. And then also, I think because especially with a plant-based diet, you know, being tied into sort of vegetarianism and veganism, there's these other issues, right, about the environment or about animal welfare. And so if people start saying that, well, you can actually perform just as well, if not better, and you can be just as healthy, if not healthier, eating this way, people, there's some cognitive dissonance. People feel the need to defend their position if they're doing things which are also harming the planet and animals. And so I think that adds some sort of extra emotional baggage to it. And so they become very offended. Hmm. And how did you decide to start this documentary? Because my understanding is that it took year. it was years in the making of research and ideas and like a camcorder you bought on Craigslist. Yeah, it started off, um, you know, I literally got injured, training for a fight, I started digging into it, came across a study about the Roman gladiators. But then I woke up at two in the morning one night and thought, I've got to make a film about this because I felt like I'd been lied to, you know, by the industry, all the marketing. And then I started, you know, finding out about the the industry funding that goes into the studies, you know, to sort of sway the scientific evidence. 
And I just felt like I'd been lied to and I hate being lied to. So I thought I've got to make a documentary about this. Soon after that, I met Joseph Pace, who is the, uh, the other writer and the other producer. And, you know, we sort of teamed up and started putting ideas together and it just sort of snowballed from there. Again, in like 2013, we had a smaller budget and we did some exploratory filming. But in 2014, we met Luisa Hoyos, who's got the most award-winning documentary in The Cove. And then we met James Cameron, of course, and it just sort of grew from there, the quality of production and, of course, the budget as well. And you were a professional MMA fighter. Like, what other diets did you try and what notions did you have previously about vegan diets before you did research and tried it? So for the most part, I was doing a sort of typical athlete diet. So I was doing extra lean turkey, chicken, brown rice, broccoli. You know, it was really quite boring. I was having oatmeal, which I still have although I sort of mix it up a little bit more now with different berries and nut butters and things like that. But towards the end of it, while I was starting this research, I actually started eating grass-fed beef and air-chilled chicken and sort of started looking at more of the paleo-type diet because there is some benefits, you know, slightly better uh, omega-6, omega-3 ratios. And then, you know, if you get air-chilled chicken, it's not dipped in chlorine, you know, and just the sort of free range. And there are some slight benefits to getting meats like that. But I started realizing that it's not just these added hormones and added antibiotics that are going into the meat. It's actually the meat and the dairy itself. So there's a lot of uh, components that just occur naturally. You know, people don't realize, for example, there's trans fats that naturally occur in meat and dairy. We didn't get to mention that in the film. You know, people know that trans fats are bad, but they don't know that they occur in meat and dairy. And it's not because they're being added, it's just they're naturally occurring. And then all these other inflammatory mediators like TMAO, AGEs, and bacterial endotoxins, all of these things exist, whether they're in the most natural state possible or in a factory feedlot and a factory farm. So I started realizing these things that the components within animal products were not healthy and uh, that plant-based was the way to go. Yeah, because a lot of times people say, well, I eat free range or grass fed, so therefore it's healthier or I'm eating I don't know if this is even the correct word, but I mean, organic meat. <laughs> yeah. No. And they think that it's it's going to be healthier because of that. And, and certainly it's healthier than eating like feedlot type of animals. But it's actually the animal flesh itself, like you said, that has all of these different components that make it not optimal for people to eat in terms of a health perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And what people don't realize is that in many cases, it's actually worse for the environment doing grass-fed. So it takes a lot longer for something that's grass-fed and grass-finished to come to slaughter than it does if it was grain-fed. When they grain-feed it, it, it grows quicker and it's ready for slaughter sooner. So it's putting out less methane. And so people think that, oh, I go grass-fed, that's better for the environment because it's more natural. And that's actually not the case as well. So you changed your diet primarily and you did this research because you were trying to recover from injury. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Recover from injury. And then I wanted to know, you know, since I'm spending all this time, what would be the best diet for athletic performance moving forward? And a, a big question that I get, because most of the audience are endurance athletes and like mountain bikers and people crashing and getting hurt. <laughs> so people mm -hmm. always say, well, how can I recover faster from an injury? So what, what were some specific foods that you found in the literature that like help recover from injury aside from like an overall plant-based diet? It's more about, again, it's more about getting whole plant foods, obviously, rather than getting, you know, processed plant foods, white flour and sugar and those types of things can actually be inflammatory and they would not be helping with your recovery. So getting more whole plant foods. But there are some things that are higher in 
some antioxidants. For example, amla, which is Indian gooseberry powder, has like the highest known antioxidants capability that I'm aware of. So I like I'll add that into my oatmeal a little bit or put that in my smoothies. But I think it's like faulty to focus too much on, you know, these magical foods per se. Yeah, reductionist. Yeah. And then just really getting in as many whole plant foods, lots of fruits and vegetables. I think that um, Dr. Gregor at Nutrition Facts has a a good, I think his um, daily dozen is a good approach to getting how many grains, how many legumes, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, you know, getting things like turmeric in your diet, which is very anti-inflammatory is important. So there are definitely things like that. There are foods that I have pretty much every day. Like I always have one Brazil nut a day because of the selenium content, which is good for, you know, your arteries. So there are things like that. But overall, it's it's just getting, you know, vast majority of your calories from whole plant foods, I think is important. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of people that say like, well, I watched the film or I've been interested in plant-based, but I can't go 100% plant-based. So they'll say like, well, what changes should I make or how, how much plant-based do I need to go for it to actually be, you know, make a difference? What do you tell people when they ask you that? Well, if you go on our website, you'll see we say it's not all or nothing. We say all or something, right? So any shift in the right direction could be beneficial. And so that's true within the animals and plants, you know, getting as many plants as possible. And then within plants, getting as many whole plant foods as possible. So the more shift you make in this plants and whole plants direction, the more benefits we can get. And there's good studies showing that there's a Predimed study that shows that just increasing fruits and vegetables and whole plant foods and legumes decreased risks of heart, heart disease. There was a recent study showing switching out just 3% of calories from red meat for plant protein had a 34% reduction in cardiovascular disease. So, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Certainly, I think the more you can go in that direction, but you've got to meet people where they're at and you can't expect everyone to just jump in overnight. And actually jumping in overnight can actually be problematic for some people. Most people are low in fiber. 90% of Americans don't get enough fiber. So if you're suddenly eating all whole plant foods, your gut bacteria, your microbiome is not suited for that. And so, you can start getting cramping and gas and that type of thing if you jump in overnight. Some people can do quite well, but I think for most people, it's better to sort of ease your way into it over time. Yeah, and I think another thing that people may not be accustomed to is chewing their food more because whenever you're eating high-fiber foods or beans, like you're going to get more gas if you don't chew your food properly. Yeah, and also, <laughs> you know, so like if you make beans you know, from dry beans, soaking them, that can also help as well. Um, but obviously canned beans, are, that's already been done. But yeah, the cooking process is also uh, relevant in that regard. From an eating for an athletic performance side of things, something else that keeps coming up in my community is that, well, I tried eating a vegan or a vegetarian diet, but I just felt tired all the time. And I don't think I like, so it's, I feel tired all the time or they think, well, I just, I feel tired because I'm not getting enough protein. And you've made a great point that you don't actually get your energy from protein. Like, what do you tell people who say, well, I, I'm an athlete and I'm just too tired whenever I eat plant-based? Yeah. I mean, first of all, so, you know, it's quite nuanced. You can actually get some energy from protein under a, a process called gluconeogenesis. So if you're not getting enough carbs and fat, then your body can convert some protein they say under uh, sort of athletic conditions for most people you can only actually get about 10 percent of your energy from protein but basically it's not a good fuel source it'd be much better especially for moderate and intense workouts to get you know a decent amount of carbohydrates if you're moderately working out 
then you know the recommendation is usually like five to seven grams per kilogram per day and of course that's actually easier to do you know people are always so worried about protein but again we don't really protein is more of, for sort of the building blocks and getting carbohydrates for for most sports certainly if you're doing very slow sort of steady state type workouts you can people can do quite well on high fat low carb but for most you know if it's the ufc mma stuff or sprints or foot American football or soccer or you know which is what most people would be doing you tend to be better off with a higher carbohydrate load and uh you know people do think that they can get energy from protein it's just not a very good fuel source yeah and even in like people would be surprised they think that in ultra endurance sports that you're burning fat or like people say well what do you eat for a hundred mile mountain bike race or what do you eat for a seven-day race and I mean, it depends on the person, but you do need a lot of carbohydrates. Like I'm not eating fat in a hundred mile mountain bike race. I'm eating carbohydrates. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just think I'm not saying that a high fat is better for a sort of slow and steady state. Mm-hmm. Let's just say a very gentle jog or something. But people seem to be able to do quite well on that, but they can certainly do very well on higher carbohydrates as well. So overall, For anyone that's sort of active and athletic, it's just better to get more carbs in. And again, that's easier when you're having a lot of plants, obviously. Yeah. And if people are new to the plant-based diet or new to the concept that carbohydrates aren't the bad guy, can you tell us some of your favorite complex carbohydrates? Because not all carbs are created the same. Yeah. I I think the first thing, some people make a mistake there between like simple and complex. So you know, still like getting fruit and things like that, which is simple. They're just, I think the best delineation is between sort of whole carbohydrates, carbohydrates coming from whole food sources versus that coming from heavily processed. And again, we've also got to remember that food isn't really carbs or protein or fat. Actually, each food really has a combination of all of those in varying proportions. And so, but sort of carb heavy foods, you know, you get legumes, you get, uh, I'll have lentil pasta a fair bit that's got, you know, a good amount of protein and a good amount of carbohydrates. I eat a lot of fruit, lots of vegetables, sweet potatoes uh, I really like. You know, and it depends who you are. If, you've, if you're sort of athletic and fairly lean, you don't even really need to worry, I don't think, about glycemic index as long as you're getting it from whole foods. But if you're overweight and trying to lose weight, it might be better to have things that are sort of lower glycemic index, lower glycemic load. But, you know, people should not be afraid of carbohydrates. What they've done is they've lumped in carbohydrates from sugar and white flour. And then people think, oh, carbs make you fat. That's just not the case when it comes to whole food carbohydrates. So whenever you were doing your research before you even thought of the film, I think that there's a lot of confusion. I mean, there is intentional confusion built in to nutritional studies and all the information out there about nutrition so that people don't know what to trust. Like when they read a study, like, oh, who's it funded by? Well, how do I even know if it's legit? So when you were like you were getting started, like one of the recommendations we make on this show is, you know, listen to all the things we have to say, but make sure that you do your own research. But not everybody understands how to do legit research. So how did you learn how to do that? And for people who want to do their own research and come to the conclusions on their own, like what advice do you have for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, science in general, especially nutritional science can be quite complex. You know, I I was fortunate that I actually do have a science degree, Mm -hmm. which I don't really mention very often. So people just say, oh, it's just a dumb fighter. Like, what does he know? You know, the people on the keto and carnivore side. So I did have, you know, the ability to read studies and that type of thing. I think the thing is, you know, you can dig into the research yourself. And I think that's important. But we do have to sort of rely on the scientific consensus because it's up to the 
ability of people in their fields to understand and interpret the data. So although in philosophy you have you know, appeal to authority fallacy, in the real world we do really have to rely on some of these people. So if you look at the World Health Organization or the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, they're both looking at the science and saying that we should be eating a predominantly plant-based diet. If you look at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they are saying that vegan and vegetarian diets are helpful across all stages of the life cycle, pregnancy, infancy, adolescence, adulthood, including for athletes. So I think people don't really have the time usually to really dig into all of the studies themselves. And of course, you can dig into you know a handful of studies, but can you really look at the totality of evidence? And so I think you have to rely on the scientific consensus and listen to experts that are representing that scientific consensus. And it's very clear that we should be eating predominantly, if not exclusively, plants. Yeah. And I think that where it gets messy is like whenever you look at a recommendation from the United States, or even if you're like going to the like American Heart Association making recommendations for people who have heart disease, like there's some messy recommendations that go against what the studies actually say is healthy for cardiovascular health. And a lot of the organizations you mentioned are like UN or world. So they might not have as much influence from like agricultural lobby groups or, or things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's a bit confusing, but I think, first of all, there is a lot, has been a lot of influence in the past, and I think that's lessening. In the 2011 Food and Law Journal, the Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee was exposed for receiving income from McDonald's and the Sugar Association and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. But I think that that is changing gradually. I mean, you look in Canada, they just removed dairy completely as a food group. So I think things are changing. And I do think people... I do think they're giving people sort of a little bit confusing recommendations because they don't just unfortunately focus on the science. They're trying to also meet people where they're at. And so they sort of give recommendations based on what they think people could achieve. But if you actually look at the scientific recommendations, for example, people think that the Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee removed the cholesterol limit, the 300 milligrams for 2015 to 2020. They think it's because there was no data to show that cholesterol was bad. That's not actually the case. If you actually look at it, they removed the 300 milligrams cholesterol limit because they couldn't find a safe limit at all. So the actual recommendation of the Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee is to eat as little dietary cholesterol as possible. Well, that is zero. That is the little. So if you actually follow their scientific recommendations, also they recommend that you get zero trans fats. So even Eric Rim, who was part of the Dietary Guideline Advisory Committee and is a professor of nutrition at, at Harvard, said if based on trans fats and knowing that they exist in meat and dairy, he said if we were truly basing this on science, we would recommend a vegetarian diet. But it's a bit extreme. So because they think that eating completely plants like vegetarian or vegan diets are extreme, they don't make that recommendation because they're trying to meet people where they're at. But if you actually look at the science that they're recommending, if you follow it strictly, then it would be a completely plant-based diet. Yeah. And also, if you like I've heard this before, and I've spoken with some doctors about this who have actually taken the time to become educated in nutrition. I've actually said, well, if you understand that a plant-based diet is going to be the optimal lifestyle change for your patients, why don't you recommend it? And they said, because we know that they that most people won't actually go all the way there. Right. Yeah. So they make recommendations based on what they think people should 
will be able to achieve. Whereas I think they should really make recommendations, tell people what is optimal, and then let those people choose how far they want to go towards eating an optimal diet. Yeah. And like allow people to make the choice for themselves instead of assuming, well, you're too weak or you're, you're just not going to be able to do this. So therefore, I'm not even going to give you the real facts. Right. Exactly. So I want to ask, this is kind of along the lines of legit studies, but I just was really surprised and also frustrated with all of the quote debunking happening of the film and even like other vegans debunking the film. And mm. they would have their own nutritional or scientific studies that they were presenting and so somebody who's like coming at this from somebody who isn't familiar with plant-based nutrition or maybe is a bit skeptical of it, they'll see the other person's studies and say, well, well, so-and-so wrote this, you know, entire document with scientific evidence against some of the claims not only made in the film, but just claims made about plant-based diets and the healthfulness of them. So going back to that topic, like how do people know when they read that, like, oh, this person, you know, this other person has science to back up their claims too. So how do I know what to believe? Yeah, I mean, I think you can basically present studies and sort of interpret them however you want to push any type of diet, right? But I think what you've got to look at, one, you have to look at the industry funding. So when people mention the study, I like to go and look at the authors. First of all, you look at the conflicts of interest. And sometimes it's declared that it's funded by the National Cattlemen's Association, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, sorry, or the Dairy Council. So you can look at who the funding is coming from, and then you recognize that industry-funded research, again, is four to eight times more likely to find results in their favor. So you've got to sort of take that with a pinch of salt. And then you have to look at the sort of research methodology, because some people, like even the other day, Chris Kresser, you know, mentioned a couple of studies showing that if you added plants to the animal food, it sort of offset some of the damage. And, you know, I can't, I don't know every study, so you know, until afterwards, I didn't realize that some of the studies that he was talking about was in rats. You know, he, but he doesn't say that. So you've mm -hmm. also got to, just because there's a conclusion of a study, like, was it even tested in humans? Because some things that affect rats don't even affect mice. So like, you can't extrapolate and say that that's what would have happened with humans. It's, you know, some of these preclinical studies, whether it's in animals or in test tubes or in petri dishes, they're informative in a way that they suggest there might be biological plausible mechanisms, but they don't. There's not proof that that is the outcome that would occur in humans. I think people just have to look at the totality of evidence. So if you look at, there's three types of main evidence. There's preclinical, right, in like test tubes and things like that. There's randomized controlled trials where you're intervening and putting people in and looking what happens. And then there's observational data. If you look at the observational data, you can see that vegans and vegetarians tend to, to do better, they live longer, they have lower markers of inflammation, they have better blood values and so forth. Now that could be down to what's called healthy user bias, where you know vegetarians and vegans perhaps just cycle more or, but for example, if you look at the Adventist research, where it's probably the best group to compare because first of all, they are both, there's less than 2% of the population is smoking in both the meat eaters and the plant eaters. Then you have that they're all exercising a fair bit they're all getting quite a lot of fiber. So they're getting quite a lot of whole plant foods. So I think that's a really good demographic. And you can see there's just reduced risk of, you know, heart disease, cancer and dying from those things. And then you can look at some randomized controlled trials. A plant-based diet is the only thing that's ever been shown to reverse cardiovascular disease. Looking at angiograms, not just in Dr. Ornish's work, because he combines sort of exercise and not smoking and, you know, stress reduction, but also with Dr. Esselstyn, who did not, you know, add in any of those potentially confounding factors, but we see, you know, reversal of heart disease. That's never been done with any type of diet or any type of drug. 
then you can look at the preclinical data. If you drip the blood of a vegan onto cancer cells, it kills them eight times more than it does if you drip the blood of a meat eater on. If you drip milk onto cancer cells, cow's milk, it increases the growth rate by 30%. If you drip almond milk onto it, it reduces it by 30%. So you have to take all of this totality of uh, evidence and everything points in the direction of eating plant-based, not in the direction of consuming meat. And then you have to take into account what is the scientific consensus and listen to those people don't listen to me or just the documentary or whatever, or people on Instagram or YouTube. Look at the scientific consensus and hear what they're saying. I think that's how you've got to, um, you know, unless you're going to really be able to dig into yourself and spend thousands of hours, that's all you can really do. I think that's great advice. And for people listening, if they are, this is the first time you're tuning into the show. In the show notes, I'll link up episodes. I've interviewed Dr. Esselstyn, who was just mentioned, and then also Dr. T. Colin Campbell, who was the one who discovered that animal protein, specifically from dairy, you can turn on and off cancer with that. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to also say, if you're like listening to this, you're like, oh, the science, I'm, I'm just like so drowning in it. I, I'm confused. I, I still don't know. Like, just try it. Like, try it for yourself and see how you feel. And I mean, I think that's the best possible way to see if it's going to work for you or not. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So I want to talk about the show a little bit. Like I wanted to give people some practical advice that they could walk away with if they're considering changes. And thank you, James, for making that documentary, because I've had like Tour de France writers reaching out to me, like asking me for resources and like tons of people changing because of this. How did you guys select the athletes who were in the show? And were there any athletes who said, oh, I don't want to come on the show because I don't want people to know that I eat this way? Yeah, there was a few people actually that we talked to that didn't want to sort of go public about it because they felt like it was giving them an advantage. And we've since had other people in the NFL, NBA come out and say, yeah, I'm plant-based, but I don't really want to tell people. There was yeah. a couple of reasons. Some people didn't want to sort of have the fun made out of them from their teammates, and some just didn't want to tell people their advantage. And there was actually about 50 people that we filmed, experts and athletes, that didn't make it into the film. Some amazing athletes. So Tia Blanco, who's the two-time world surfing champion. Cara Lang, who I think is the youngest player in international soccer to ever score a goal. I think she was 16 when she scored a goal. Barney Duplessis, who's Mr. Universe. And there's just a number of really good athletes. Mike Marler is a great athlete and coach. So we didn't get to put those people in. We really just um, try to film people across different types of sports and activities. And then you know, we put people in based on if they addressed a certain topic with about protein or energy or, you know, whatever it was, building muscle. And um, there was just so many people to choose from. Unfortunately, we only got to, you know, put a limited number of people in. But if you look around, I mean, there's so many athletes now eating this way. In fact, there was research at the uh, Commonwealth Games for 2010 showing that and this is 2010, right? So there was 8% of the athletes reading a plant-based diet. And I'm sure that's gone up significantly since then. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about like kind of the strength athletes that were in the show, like the strongman. I thought that was really awesome. And some people have said, well, this show is like really focused on men and, you know, strength people. But I actually think that's good. Like one of the things that people are afraid of is I'm not gonna be able to build muscle or I'm not going to be strong or only those like skinny endurance geeks over there can do this. So, so yeah, like how did you find those guys? I mean, I was just searching around for athletes that are really plant-based. And, and you're right. I mean, for me, it was probably because my personal, you know, being a man and being sort of in a, you know, a traditionally macho sport, I'm not saying what is macho or what is manly, but 
you know, traditionally macho sport in MMA. I was sort of looking for strength athletes because I found so many endurance athletes. And then sort of as, as we were making the film, it just sort of happened to tie in with sort of this real many meat myth. And we think that's underlying, you know, even the protein myth. Eight out of 10 vegetarians or vegans are plant-based. Men 18 to 45 eat twice as much meat as women. And I just think, um, you know, it's a demographic that the sort of plant-based movement hasn't reached out too well. So it wasn't like super intentional from the beginning. It was more sort of my personal journey and feeling like an athlete and as a man that I needed meat and protein. I know that some people have sort of been offended by only having a handful of females in there, but there was amazing. I mean, Doxy Bausch is amazing. You know, we had a female anthropologist in there who was incredibly smart, Christina Warner. And so we just had some some really powerful females that we couldn't put in the film, like Cara Lang and Tia Blanco. And I wish we could fit them all in, but there was definitely a male focus in the end. Yeah. And I mean, I'm somebody who's very much like promoting female athletes and all about like more women in the media. And I actually wasn't offended by that. I thought that it's needed in in this special case to be, you know, highlighting the quote, the strengths. I don't want to call it macho sports because there's also female MMA fighters and things like that. Right. So, yeah, I thought that was really awesome that you guys did that. Will you tell people about like, because not everybody's seen it. Will you tell people about the clip that was the three guys eating the burritos and then like looking at their blood immediately after eating the burritos? Because I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. So we had Dr. Robert Vogel, who's the co-chair of the cardiovascular committee for the NFL. And he's done this research for 20 years looking at, you know, what's called postprandial lipemia. That just means like fat in the blood after eating, basically. And you can basically eat a meal, if you eat a heavy animal-based meal, and then you eat a plant-based meal, two to three hours after the meal, you can centrifuge. So you spin the blood in the test tube and separate out the red blood cells from the serum. And if the serum looks sort of cloudy, it's called the lactescence, the milkiness, then that's been correlated with reduced endothelial function. So that's the lining of your arteries that produces nitric oxide. And that allows your arteries to open up and allow more oxygen, more nutrients. If it's cloudy, it sort of shuts those arteries down from expanding. If it's nice and clear, then it allows those to um, those arteries to open up and allow more oxygen and more nutrients. And that's what a plant-based meal will do, is allow the arteries to open up. A heavy animal-based meal has been shown time and time again to reduce that endothelial function for about up to six to eight hours. And of course, what do you do again? You eat again. So I think that's one of the benefits of eating that's one of the major benefits around eating plant-based is having better blood flow, so more oxygen, more nutrients to the muscles. Yeah, and also to your brain. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And we did actually talk to some people about that, uh, interview some people for the film. That stuff just We just wasn't room for it, unfortunately. But Brian Green, who's one of the world's leading theoretical physicists, and we had the world, most world-winning poker player, Daniel Negrano, and we interviewed them about mm. sort of brain processing and thought processing and... Uh, yeah, there definitely seems to be some benefit there. And what are some other benefits? So you mentioned endothelial function and better blood flow. If people listening are like, okay, like this film is saying that plant-based diets are going to give you a competitive edge. Like what are the other things that you that are better? It's, it's really around, centered around inflammation. So the blood flow is centered around inflammation as well, inflammation in the arteries. But then if there's inflammations, you know, just recovering from a workout session or if you got injured and you're recovering, you need inflammation to build muscle and to recover, but you want to get through that inflammation quickly so that you can work out again 
more effectively. So, of course, you can always work out again the next day, but it's how effective and how optimal is that workout. And so I think inflammation is really the key here. The animal foods tend to be inflammatory. Plant foods tend to be anti-inflammatory. And so reducing that can not only help blood flow, but also, you know, muscle repair, being faster, and then also injury repair as well. I think that's the main benefit. Yeah. And in terms of commentary from people who have changed their diets because of the film, if you go on like YouTube or you look in like our Facebook group, Plant Power Tribe, people say, yeah, like I'm recovering faster. This is awesome. But if you're not eating enough calories, you might not be recovering faster. So that, (laughs) yeah. So how do people know how many calories to eat? Well, I mean, you know, obviously there's a couple of ways you can go about it. I don't track calories anymore. I just sort of eat. But I think it is important. If you just take meat off of your plate and eat what was left, uh, <laughs> have a bit more. If you just eat vegetables and rice or something, then you're probably not going to get enough calories or enough protein. So you do need to make sure that you're incorporating beans, peas, lentils, nuts, and seeds to make sure you're getting that caloric density and the protein. I think for a lot of people, it might be a good idea to track that early on, sort of see what they were eating before. But for other people, you can probably just sort of do it naturally by eating and seeing, you know, the effect. Certainly, if you feel like you need to gain weight, I would eat more calorically dense foods, you know, like nuts and seeds, 2,400 calories a pound. If you need to lose weight, I'd eat less calorically dense foods like fruits, maybe 300 calories a pound or, you know, grains and legumes, 600 calories a pound. So depending on what your goal is, eat sort of more calorically dense or less calorically dense food, basically, and just eat until you're full. Yeah. satisfied actually. and like when people are eating whole foods plant-based diet because there's more fiber like you feel full sooner but you also right. get hungry and another complaint people have had over the years is like oh i get hungry again i need to eat more often and like i don't think that's a bad thing if you need to eat more but yes like if you are eating whole foods plant-based you need to eat more food because you yeah. will get full and you will need to eat again yeah no absolutely i think it takes some while for people to adjust so if you're used to having a small stomach that's not expanded by having enough fiber and low calorically dense foods, then yeah, it might take some time to adjust. You know, but people can, so there's ways to work around that, right? So like, if you want to have smoothies, you can get a lot of calories in, you know, there's, there's definitely ways around it, but people should just try it and sort of see how they feel in general, I think. And what about things like, and I know this is really specific uh, to the sport that you're doing, but like pre-competition foods, because In endurance sports in particular, it's like, well, eat less fiber before your sport because you don't want to have all that fiber in your gut. What are some foods that you've came across with all the athletes that you've talked to and worked with about pre-competition foods and also post-competition foods? I think it's been a big variance between, you know, the different athletes. Some of them will do these sort of sport gels, you know, either homemade ones or, you know, or store-bought ones. Some people prefer to go more with like dates and, and bananas close to workout. I think it just really depends on, on the sport. And it's not something that I've really dug into mm-hmm. specifically. I think I would, you know, if someone, come, if someone comes to us wanting to really dial in their diet, uh, I, it's not my, you know, I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not consulting people. I pass them on to uh, someone from our team to help people make those changes. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring up a couple of other topics because it was a couple months ago, but we had people write into the show with their plant-based questions. Mm-hmm. And some of them were the same ones that were actually brought up in the that Joe Rogan podcast. But I'm sure that lots of people haven't listened to it because <laughs> four hours is a lot. Yeah. So I want to talk about heme iron because people are confused because in plant-based foods, most of the iron is non-heme iron. Right. So can you like lighten us on that, enlighten us? <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so basically, heme iron is iron which is attached already to the hemoglobin. So the animal has done the job of attaching that the non-heme iron that it ate and attaches it to the hemoglobin, and that basically your body does not is not able to regulate. So on the if you're pro meat, you basically say, yeah, this iron's better because it's better absorbed. But the reality is that it's not just because it's better absorbed; it's just your body can't regulate it, just like your body can't regulate perfectly exogenous cholesterol. So when you take in cholesterol, for example, your body will downregulate its own production of cholesterol, but not enough to keep your serum cholesterol the same. Your overall cholesterol tends to rise. Same with iron. If you take in non-heme iron, your body absorbs it until it's had enough. And if you keep taking in non-heme iron, it just doesn't absorb anymore. But with heme iron that's already attached to the hemoglobin, when you take it in, it basically just takes it in. It's got no way of not absorbing it. And that's sort of indicative to me Another sign that we should be eating plant-based diet is that our bodies don't have the ability to properly regulate exogenous cholesterol or heme iron, which are found in animal foods, whereas it can regulate the things that come in like non-heme iron that are found in plant foods. So heme iron has been associated with heart disease in multiple studies and meta-analyses, and it's just much better off to get your iron coming from plants. Yeah, and another supplement people know, like we don't need to go into it, is B12. What about like other supplements? Because you mentioned amla powder and like these things aren't necessary to thrive on a plant-based diet. But like I read about amla powder and I think it was how not to die. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So like what are some supplements that may not be like critical that you have to take, but that you like taking and that other athletes who you interacted with for Game Changers mentioned? Yeah, I mean, so obviously B12 is the most important thing that everybody on a plant-based diet, and I would argue, I mean, just- Everyone, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you can get blood, if you can afford to take blood tests every six months, you know, if you're on an omnivorous diet, then you can see whether you need to take B12 or not. But if you're on a plant-based diet or you're just over 50, the general recommendation is to take a, a supplement. And then if you can't get your blood tested every, you know, six months or whatever, you should probably just take a B12 supplement anyway, whether you eat meat or not. So that's the number one is B12. So you can do that on a daily amount or you can do a weekly amount. I do it once a week. And again, for, for de- details on that, I think nutritionfacts.org is great for the recommendations on amounts. Then depending on where you live, and again, this is whether you're a meat eater or not, depending on where you live, vitamin D. So it depends on you know how far away from the equator you are and the time of year. Vitamin D might be something else to take. You know, some people would argue for a DHA EPA supplement. So that would be, you know, omnivores might have a fish oil for that reason. You know, you can get that from an algae oil. Although some people, many people are going to be able to convert the ALA, which is found in flax seeds. I have a tablespoon of flaxseed every day. Other than that, I mean, for, in terms of athletic performance, obviously the, the biggest ergogenic su- supplement that has been studied, so performance enhancing, would be creatine. And so, again... You know, you've got to look at your goals. Is your goal optimal long-term health or is it athletic performance? And so in terms of long-term health, I haven't seen any studies or data that show that it would be helpful for long-term health to take creatine. In fact, there are some studies showing that there could be some potential risks to taking creatine. But in terms of athletic performance, I don't think there's any question that taking supplemental creatine would be beneficial for athletic performance, both muscle gain and for endurance. Other than that, you know, some people take branched-chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine, protein powder some people take, 
but it, I think it's an individual choice. Of course, it's not just vegans that are taking that. The vast majority of supplements and uh, protein powders are taken by non-vegans. So uh, those are some of the things um, that people you know, may choose to supplement with. Yeah. And in the cycling community, like leucine is, you know, amongst everybody, no matter what your diet is, that that's a supplement that a lot of people are taking for recovery. So yeah, thanks yeah. for, thanks for bringing those up. Yeah. And another one for endurance might be beta alanine as well. Yeah. I actually tried using that. I was actually, t- I, I can't remember the dose, but it was like a higher dose and I was experimenting with it and it makes your fingers tingle. Like if you're taking it, and then I was I was at this race in Brazil and they were, you know, they, you get drug tested. So they did a drug test and I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been taking like a high dose of beta alanine. What if it's contaminated with something? It wasn't. But I actually found huge benefit taking beta alanine. Yeah. So, again, people can dial in their diets for athletic performance. I think you just have to remember, you know, for example, when you jack up leucine, you increase the mTOR pathway which is the mammalian target of rapamycin. And that actually increases your cancer <laughs> cancer risk uh, oh. somewhat. So, but you're, you're, the thing is, I'm going on a, there's like 20 or so pathways to cancer. And by going on a plant-based diet, you're reducing you know, all of them. But if you add in leucine, you might be jacking the chance of one of those pathways up. Whereas if you're on the animal-based diet, you're getting all of those 20 pathways being activated in a greater degree. So definitely, I think in terms of athletic performance, you know, leucine or creatine and these types of things, you know, are they needed for health? Probably not. It's probably, you know, probably better for long-term health to not have them. But again, life's not just about longevity. It's also about the quality of life, right? So if you're stronger and fitter and can have more fun riding a bike or doing jujitsu or whatever, you know, that, that trade-off may be worth it. Yeah. And something I wanted to compliment you on is you have an incredible memory. Like, you knew all the slide numbers in that Joe Rogan podcast, like all the all the things that you're bringing up, things that you're citing, like you have just an incredible memory. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been punched in the head a lot. And so I, <laughs> the, some some things I'm not very good at remembering. But when it's sort of really, I think when I, you know, you've got a debate coming up, it's a bit like a fight. So you've got to really drill those things in mm-hmm. and um, and try and memorize them. But it, it was certainly a fair bit of work. Um putting that slideshow together and uh, memorizing all of those because there was like we only covered like 20 percent of what i prepared for yeah so there was a lot more slides and a lot more information we didn't get to really cover the gladiators in depth or anthropology in depth or the environment in depth and i had um rebuttals for all of those because chris cresser on his uh so-called debunk of the game changers he spent two hours and 50 minutes there wasn't a single thing that he got right in his critiques they were all scientifically uh, invalid yeah you did so awesome like were, were you nervous going into that at all um i don't know if nervous is the right word but i um there was some anxiety about making sure that i got all the points across i wasn't super happy with my performance i probably should have let him speak a little bit more you know and people were saying oh well you were cutting him off a lot but to be fair he got to speak for three hours talking smack on the film when we took seven years to make it interviewing world's leading experts and to come in there as an acupuncturist not that there's anything wrong with that but he's just not qualified to interpret the scientific evidence in the same way that the experts in the film that we interviewed are so it was quite frustrating and i, I just wanted to make sure i got some of these arguments across yeah, I think like in the beginning, it was a lot harder for you to talk. Like it sounded like you try to talk and then there'd be like all these all this yelling and <laughs> it would just be super hard. Like you'd have to have like patience, but then you also want to get your point across. But then you also want to listen enough. Like, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine what that would have been like. 
Yeah, it's challenging. I definitely sort of got into a different mindset early on when they were not letting me finish. And so I think I got into this state of uh, not letting Chris finish. But still, I think the science that I presented is still, regardless of whether people liked my approach in the debate, the science that I presented is factual. And so hopefully people will rely on the science you know, rather than the, the debate methods. Can you talk about the gladiator side of things? Because I think that's a big question mark that people still have. Yeah, so I don't know, like, what's gone around the internet is saying, oh, James claimed that the gladiators were completely vegan, and here's how they're not. And if we can prove that wrong, the whole film stumbles. But the thing is, we never said that. So the Fabian Kentz, the ar- archaeologist who presented information about the gladiators in the film, he didn't even say they were vegetarian, let alone vegan. He said they were predominantly vegetarian. And then I said, So I was surprised that they ate mostly plants. I didn't say all plants and he didn't say vegan. So that's called a straw man, right? They're they're setting up our argument and they're trying to debunk an argument, which was not something we were trying to make. And so basically the strontium calcium analysis and the radioisotope analysis, again, we couldn't discuss it all in the film, but the research shows that they were eating predominantly plants. Now, and they were known as the barley men. Now, people might say, well, they were slaves, so they were given poor food. But whether that's true or not, that doesn't impact. They, they weren't like nutritional experts back then, right? So <laughs> they didn't have data that we have now. So whether whatever the reason they were given that food, and there's people that argue that because there was different types of gladiators. They didn't actually typically fight to the death as is portrayed in films because they were an expensive commodity that people would train. And there were some people that actually became gladiators because they wanted to not because they were slaves so there's arguments there but basically even if they were given that food as slave food doesn't mean that it didn't help them perform better right because they weren't like nutritional experts so (laughs) we know that they ate mostly plants based on the evidence and all that did was got me interested in looking into this subject matter and seeing if plants really could fuel you and it turns out that you know animals are just the middlemen we can get all of our protein from plants we get a much better baggage, right? We get all the phytonutrients and fiber and this type of thing rather than the cholesterol and saturated fat and the heme iron and the trans fats and the AGEs and all these other inflammatory molecules. It just set me down this path, which I learned that it's just better to get as many calories as you can from plant foods. Are you going to be like writing or posting or doing audio on the rest of the slides that you had for that that Joe Rogan podcast? Because I think it'd be really awesome to have that out there. Because there's just all these like arguments online and it would be great to just have that like, bam, here you go. (laughs) Yeah, we're actually going to put a rebuttal out to the sort of the major critique. So rather than wasting time, you know, looking at one person's article and then trying to rebut it and then another one comes out and rebut it, we're just going to sort of take the typical themes of the criticism against the film and put that up on the GameChangersMovie.com website so that people can go, okay, you think that... um, you know, you think that the protein quantity is not good enough. You think the protein quality is not enough. You think that regenerative agriculture is better than going towards a plant-based diet. Like whatever those critiques are. Well, so far, I really haven't seen any strong rebuttals of the film. I was hoping that there might be actually some some really good points because I'm more interested in the truth. So I would like to see some serious scientific rebuttals, but I just haven't seen any that really hold any value I find them to be misleading and misrepresentative. And I just I haven't found a, a single sort of one that underpins the the validity of the documentary yet. Did you feel really frustrated? Like, because you must have been so excited, like you spent all this time, you know, all these years working on this documentary, it comes out 
And then you had all this pushback. I mean, there's been so much positive benefit from it as well. But like, did you feel bad about the negative things that people were saying or did it like fire you up even more? I mean, we knew we were going to get this kind of pushback, maybe not to this degree, but we knew that people on the other side, industry funded people, keto proponents, you know, carnivore proponents, we knew that was going to come out. And I actually think there's a benefit to it because it creates more of a conversation. And, yeah. and you know, and to find the truth, I think if, if some more information came out that showed that something in the film was wrong, of course, it wouldn't invalidate the whole thing. But it would be interesting if someone's got some information that says, actually, this was wrong, or here's some new science that's come out since the film. But what tends to be happening is there's new research that's come out in the last month, the last two weeks, the last three months. And it just keeps pointing more and more in the favor of plant-based eating. But if anyone's got some serious you know, science saying that something in the film was wrong, I'd, I'd love to see it. And I just haven't seen it yet. Have you had any threats or anything from like agriculture businesses or industry? Um, not from the agricultural industry that I'm aware of so far. So, I, you know, when I won the Ultimate Fighter in 2009, I got death threats, you know, phone calls with uh, voice messages. And it's a little bit disconcerting that I haven't had any this time because people that are actually serious about it probably wouldn't make the threats. So I think I've had individuals online saying they're going to beat me up or whatever. <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. <laughs> the fact that I haven't had any from the meat and dairy industry, it doesn't really mean there's not, you know, going to be something that happens. But I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it. Why did you get death threats in 2009? Like uh, for, winning? for winning the ultimate fight. Really? I have no idea. There's That's been crazy. Like someone from England uh, winning the ultimate fighter, I guess. Mm. Can I use the last couple minutes to ask you about fighting? Like I wanted people, because I know people want me to ask about plant-based stuff, but I'm really curious about some of the fighting. Yeah, totally. I, I'm just like, you get punched in the face and you have to hurt people. And I know that might sound really silly and ridiculous, but yeah. how do you go in there and be so amped up where you want to like hit people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, to me, you know, there's a big difference. People say, well, how could you be vegan and also hit people in, in the <laughs> face? I mean, first of all, my primary motive for eating plant-based is for my own performance and health. But also, you know, since eating this way, I have shifted and, and do care about the environment and the animals because I think those barriers have been removed. Whereas before I was sort of a bit, I had cognitive dissonance. But in terms of punching people in the face, I mean, to me, there's a big difference between beating someone up on the street and then mutual combat. So when we both agreed, to me, it's like a physical game of chess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the damage that occurs is really quite superficial generally. So the small gloves tend to create cuts where you bleed a lot and it looks bad. But it's actually worse. It's been shown to wear boxing gloves where they're big, thick and padded. There's not as many cuts, but you're getting more brain damage. Also in boxing, if you knock someone down, they have 10 seconds to recover and then you can knock them down again. And that's really bad for the brain. In MMA, if you knock someone down, you get a couple more punches in and the fight is over. And so, you know, I just enjoy the technical aspect of fighting and testing myself. And, you know, again, I wouldn't hit someone that didn't want to be hit unless they were attacking me or my family or some other innocent people. I wouldn't attack them. So that's, I think, the big delineation for me. And that's why I'm okay with it because... It's basically saying, if you say to me, yeah, I'm a, you can hit me, and I say, okay, you can hit me, then I don't see any moral issue with that. Yeah, and like, do people say things to get under your skin to get you amped up to make a mistake? And if so, how do you like stay calm in those situations? In a fighting situation? Yeah. Because I'm definitely getting that from the, uh, from the film. Oh. People <laughs> on Instagram trying to get me to respond. 
I mean, yeah, people do say it, but I think there's an importance in fighting to understand the difference between anger and aggression. So it's important to be aggressive, but it's important not to be angry. And so you can't really let people, once you start getting angry, that emotion can take over control of your body and you start making mistakes. So I think that's important is to remain calm, but be aggressive because a lot of people sort of confuse anger and aggression, but you definitely can't let anger get a hold of you. So when people say it, you've got to recognize why they're saying it. They're trying to get you to make a mistake and you can't fall for that. But how do you do that? Like, how do you not let yourself get angry? Uh, so, so you have to just drill it, right? You have to have people, <laughs> when you get used to people punching you, it just becomes like an everyday thing, right? So you're getting punched in the gym all the time. And then you can have people talking uh, smack. In fact, for self-defense training in the past, we've often done it where people are shoving you in the chest and, you know, screaming profanities in your face. And I think training through that is important because it helps you deal with it. You've just gone through it again and again. So it's just training basically like, like anything else. Yeah. And that's a really good point you just made about like all the stuff happening online or even in that debate that you had, like trying to remain, you know, cool and not not get angry. And that's mm -hmm. really hard to do whenever you feel like you're being attacked, like even yeah. just like verbally. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm better at it than uh, in fighting because I've had a lot more practice than I am in uh, a debate situation. So next time I'll definitely work on trying to remain a little bit calmer, probably. Yeah, awesome. On the Game Changers website, what can people expect in terms of resources? Because I think that's probably a good place for them to go, right? Yeah. So GameChangersMovie.com, we've currently got tips on, you know, how to make the transition, you know, whether it's all or nothing, shopping tips, tips for switching out certain ingredients and recipes. We've got completely plant-based recipes as well. So we're going to continue to put more recipes on, more tips more FAQs. As people ask us more questions, we'll put those onto the FAQ page. And then we're also going to have a community page on Facebook. So people can not only interact with like our chief science advisor or me or some of the experts or athletes in the film, but also amongst one another, because I think it's really important to have a community, not only just in person, like your family and your friends, but also online where you've got people you can talk to to go through like, oh, well, how do I replace an egg or, you know, whatever, you know, I'm having this problem with too much fiber or so I think it's important that we build that community where everyone can, can talk with each other. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for answering all my questions. And thank you for creating this documentary. It's so awesome to see it out in the world and see the positive changes it's making, especially someone who is really passionate and really truly believes that plant-based nutrition is the way to go. Awesome. Well, thanks again for uh, having me on. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and if this is your first foray into plant-based nutrition there's a lot there and there's a lot to digest and in the resources section of the show notes we linked up the documentary and where you can find that some of the things that we talked about including my episode with t colin campbell dr esselstyn dr gregor's daily dozen app and more if you have any additional questions please feel free to contact me I also have a certification through Cornell for their plant-based nutritional studies program. So I'm happy and excited to take your questions and help you. And again, if you want more, if you want a community to be a part of, especially with other plant-based athletes, you're more than welcome to join our Plant Power Tribe Facebook group and check out my Plant Power Tribe cookbook at moxieandgrit.com. Huge thanks to Sufferfest Beer Company for supporting our podcast. 
make sure you guys check these out. A lot of us love beer and this is the beer to be drinking. If you identify as an athlete, identify as somebody who really enjoys beer and quality ingredients. So check them out. Give them a try. Let us know what you think. Sufferfestbeer.com. Hope you have an awesome day. Thank you so much for being a part of this awesome community, especially in 2020 as we go forward. Wishing you guys all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.